You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have five rounds of questions about us. Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher, and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist, and they'll hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. After the four questions, there's a black bonus round at the end just for fun. Our guests for this episode are husband and wife, Egypt Sherrod and Mike Jackson. Together for 18 years, the parents of three girls have become fan favorites on HGTV with their hit show, Married to Real Estate. Egypt has been a part of the HGTV family for more than a decade, hosting shows like Property Virgins, Flipping Virgins, and now Married to Real Estate. And together, Egypt and Mike were competitors on Rock the Block, winning season three. Winner of the exterior and outdoor spaces renovation is... Egypt and Mike. But during the pandemic, the couple started documenting more of their everyday lives on social media. And with such positive feedback from followers, they embarked on a new journey, a reality show, not only about real estate and home renovation, but about their personal ups and downs. Egypt and Mike, thank you all so much for joining The Blackest Question. Hey, thank you for having us. Thank you. We're excited. I am- I'm really excited. You know, I have to admit, I don't watch HGTV as much as my mother, who I did not tell her that I was interviewing you two because I know that she would have gotten in her car from Philadelphia and driven up just to sit right here next to me to sort of sit here and fawn over you all. Wait, wait, your mom's from Philly. She's all right with me. You know, that's my hometown. That's your hometown. Oh, fantastic. Now you all are based in Atlanta. And so doing this, part of the research was I'm told, Egypt, you had a successful career as a radio personality in New York before you came to Atlanta. And Mike, you were a celebrity DJ for many years before you sort of transitioned to contracting and building. Walk us through really quickly how we go from radio personality and DJ to married to real estate. Well, what's interesting is like many people, we were moonlighting. We had dual careers. So people would listen to me on the radio during the day. And then I would leave my day job yep. with my good benefits. And <laughs> <laughs> the health benefits job. Yes. The good benefits job. And I'd go over to my real estate office where I was building a real estate career for myself. And vice versa. I'd be on job sites 6 a.m. till 1 or 2 p.m. doing construction. And then I'm in somebody's venue or on the road DJing. And Nobody knew the two were existing sometimes. So our paths crossed in both careers at different times. I knew him as a DJ when I was a radio personality. And I said, he's cute and he knows he's cute. I got to stay away from him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I was flipping houses. I needed a new construction team. He shows up. I said, well, Mm -hmm. ask my mentor to send me a new construction team, not a DJ. Right. (laughs) Not an attractive DJ. (laughs) But we got work to do. 
Sure, but yeah. we both learned the flip side of mm. each other and fell in love uh, on that front. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And now you all are creating great television that is so helpful to so many families as well as you all flip these houses. Okay, so we've never had two guests join us simultaneously before on The Blackest Questions. So we're yeah. gonna do things a little differently. And since you all are used to competing against one another, you're going to each get a set of two questions. And if we're all tied up at the end, we'll have a fifth question to sort of break the tie. So are you all ready to answer The Blackest Question? Interesting. You know what? So wait a minute. <laughs> oh, I thought we were on the same team. And I said, oh, what no. I drop the ball, he'll pick it up. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, we're competing against one another. Okay. That's right. You know what? Bring it. Bring it. Let's, Let's go. It. So I'm just a little, you know, a little family intrigue. <laughs> Some bragging rights for 2023. That's okay. all. Okay, Egypt, I'm gonna start with you. So, first question. This establishment in New York City opened in 1913 as Herding and Siemens Music Hall. It's located in Harlem and is a noted venue for Black performers. What is the name of this place? The Apollo Theater. You are correct. So, as I mentioned, the Apollo was first opened in 1913 and was a burlesque theater that had a strict whites-only policy. But in 1934, it was bought by new owners who renovated it and reopened it with the intention of catering to the Black community in Harlem. The Apollo eventually became home to the nationally syndicated television show Showtime at the Apollo that ran from 1987 to 2008. Jimi Hendrix won first prize at the Apollo's Amateur Hour Contest in 1964. And everyone from Billie Holiday, James Brown, Diana Ross, the Jackson Five, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, Lauryn Hill, and Mary J. Blige have performed there. So have you all, with your background in radio, Egypt, and Mike, with your background in DJing, have you all ever visited the Apollo Theater? I've been to the Apollo multiple times because when I first moved to New York, it was my dream to go and boo someone. Now we got Mr. Anthony Bartley. Here and now, your love is over. At the, <laughs> at the theater, you know, come on, we grew up watching Showtime. At That's the right. So that was part of the fun. And I, I went with my girls and the first chance that Sandman came out, we were booing. And then of course, there's so much amazing talent that's yeah. coming. <laughs> follow theater then as a radio personality I had the opportunity to actually sit up in the mezzanine with Dougie Fresh and, oh, nice. and, and then judge and you know they introduced us there's just so much history mm. there walking through the front door you're just enamored because mm -hmm. that theater has meant so much for so many generations it is literally created stars created yeah. celebrities was it do you remember Tracy Spencer yep mm -hmm. oh yeah her for the first time yeah. in the Apollo Theater and so many so yeah. many artists I've actually been blessed enough to perform on that stage twice okay and, uh, not to come out to compete but I was on tour with a group and we performed there twice so and it was amazing and amazing. You, you weren't the team that I booed though I wasn't I wasn't a team <laughs> I didn't go on there to compete we were artists they invited to perform <laughs> okay, now what did you perform, Mike, and who did you perform with? Because my producers told me about a, a singing group you used to have with your cousins. Yes, one of them is my cousin. It's two guys. One okay. is named Harm, the other is named Sincere Gobano. They are the product GMB, three-time Grammy Award winners, well-known for the hit record Maria Maria with Carlos Santana. That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, 
I think the first thing that surprised me about going to the Apollo was it was so much smaller than I thought it would be just because on television, you know, and you all know this being on television, what, what things seem are not always the reality once you walk in. So when I walked in those important doors, Egypt, just as you said, like you feel the weight of history, but then I'm like, is this, this is a tiny stage. (laughs) Yeah. And well, you really realize it when you're standing in line at the women's room. You know, yes. all, it doesn't matter where you are ever. The line is always longer at the ladies room. But That's when you're right. at the Apollo Theater, mm-hmm. you might be there for the whole show. That's <laughs> right. Okay, now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more of The Blackest Questions. The Grio Black Podcast Network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. We are back. So let's pick up where we left off. Okay, so Mike, you ready now? Egypt said she set a bar now. You gave an easy question, but come on with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mike, where are you from? I'm from Hempstead, Long Island, New York. Hempstead, City. Long Island. Okay. All right. Come on, we got to represent for Philly, Egypt. Um, okay, so Mike, it's your turn. Mm-hmm. Hip hop music and culture is said to have started in the Bronx, and it yep. includes four elements. One of them is DJing. What mm-hmm. are the other three elements? Other three. You said one of them is what? One of them is DJing. One of them is DJing. What are the other three elements of hip hop music and culture that one is started dancing. in the Bronx? One, one is dancing, break dancing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One is emceeing, mm-hmm. battles, and the fourth, DJing, break dancing. I got 10 seconds. And I feel so bad. Y'all better not judge me for this. Oh, graffiti. There you go. All right. So the roots of hip hop can be traced back to the Bronx, Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. Let's not forget. And in 1973, DJ Cool Herc threw a a back to school party in the Bronx, which is considered the birth of hip hop. Cool Herc was known for spinning break beats on two turntables, creating an endless loop of music. And the street where his back to school party happened was renamed to Hip Hop Boulevard in 2017. So the four elements for our listeners again are DJing, rapping or emceeing, graffiti, and breakdancing or b-boying. So, Mike, you were once a DJ. My producers tell me you started DJing at 11. How did one get interested in DJing at the age of 11 in Hempstead, Long Island? Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I actually started a singing group that transitioned into music in just in general. I started DJing because one of my neighbors right across the hall from me had this amazing DJ set and he opened up his doors one day and I said, what is all the lights? What is mm-hmm. all the sound coming in out of there? You got to show me that. And from there, it was over. I used to DJ all of my mother's gatherings. I used to DJ with two tape decks. I think I just dated myself. Two, two decks, <laughs> tape decks. Okay. I would press play, rewind, press play on the other one. But the old soul in me just loved all types of music. And I said, I want to do this. You know, my mother brought me some turntables. My grandfather, may he rest in peace, made me my first DJ coffin. And you can never get me to go outside because I would DJ every day, every hour of the day. As soon as I came home from school, I was DJing. And it got me around the world. So mm-hmm. nice about it. Now, when you all are home together, who's in charge of the music? 
it's always him. It, honestly, because I was in radio for over 20 years, I actually prefer silence. Mm. I like quiet. However, I'm married to someone who is also a DJ, <laughs> so there's always music uh -huh. in the house. Uh -huh. And Mike, when you're DJing now, do you prefer old school turntables or are you more into like the new computer programs where you can kind of create sounds just from your laptop? Oh, no, I, I would love to uh, turntables, but unfortunately they stopped making the 1200s. So the CDJs is what we deal with everyone. And it's it's easier to work with. It's lighter to carry whenever you're doing an event. So it's the digital. Okay, it's the digital. All right, Egypt, I'm coming back to you. I, I'm I'm loving the the Sherrod Jackson competition you know, over here. I thought he was going to lose the last one. I, I put my money on beatboxing being one of the elements. Yeah, so I'm glad that wasn't my question. But I'm right. ready. Okay, come on, come on. Let's okay. do it. So second question for Egypt. This Black man was the first Black member of the National Association of Realtors and has spent nearly 60 years in the real estate mortgage industry. He's currently the CEO of Legacy Home Loans in Las Vegas, which focuses on providing home loans to the Black community. Who is he? Oh, I know it and I can't. <laughs> I am going to have to redeem myself on this one. You got 10 seconds. You better get it right. Hold on. I know it. Mm -hmm. And it's on the tip of my tongue. Um, can I phone a friend? No, <laughs> you know, it's funny. We've, we've thought about that idea on the show. We haven't done it just yet. Next time we do, I'll have to bring you guys back so you can, can phone I a friend. Over? Then Mike is, Mike oh. is looking at you like, I am not throwing you a lifeline, not doing it. <laughs> so minute. the answer is Ben Slayton. Ben Slayton became the first Black realtor in America in 1964 after he found someone to sponsor him at the cost of $5,000, which allowed him to, jo to join the Board of Realtors. He was adopted by a Jewish family who taught him the real estate and mortgage business, and that family also worked to get him the $5,000 scholarship. Slayton was the first Black man accepted as a franchise broker owner of Century 21. Yeah. Okay. And my uncle own Century 21 offices in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I am not going to be able to live this one down, but I don't have only one request. Dr. Sure. Make his question as hard as mine, please. Okay. <laughs> I will. But really quickly, how did how did you get into real estate, Egypt? So you, you have a family members who are in real estate, but how did you sort of transition? I know you were moonlighting, but... It was ingrained in me from childhood that real mm -hmm. estate was the foundation of wealth. I grew mm -hmm. up with uncles and with a father who, you know, they were all in real estate. So on Thanksgiving, it wasn't pass the turkey. It was, hey, what about that house on Brown Street? By the way, pass the turkey. <laughs> you know, so uh, I ran very far away from what was then deemed the family business into real estate and broadcasting because I wanted to do anything but what everyone was talking about. Mm -hmm. However, when we know something and it's just embedded in our core, right. we understand we understand its worth. So when I started making some money, some real money, I wanted to know what to do with it. Well, immediately I thought real estate and I started flipping houses. That's where I met this mm -hmm. one. And I said, wow, I really love just this business more than I thought I would. Maybe if I get my, here we go. If I get my real estate license, mm -hmm. I can take the middleman out and keep the commission on all the properties I'm selling. Right. Well, the joke was on me because I got bit by the real estate bug and I fell in love with the business. What I really loved about it was I was able to help people leave legacy, not debt. I was able mm -hmm. to help 
families in many cases become the very first, you know, they were the very first to experience home ownership and show folks that it's really just about getting off the fence, putting one foot in front of the other, and you too can own a piece of the earth. And that's the mm -hmm. one thing they are not making any more of. Right. And so more than 20 years later, I still really love what I do for a living. I love this business. It's fulfilling and every day looks looks different. And my uncles who are retired from real estate now laugh at me. <laughs> so right. Well, I mean, and this, this question though is for both of you, because in so many ways you all are, are mentors and leaders for a lot of people who watch your shows, especially black people who were doing the, the very thing, Egypt, that you just said, trying to decide whether or not they want to take that leap. Um, because some people, especially who don't come from a legacy of home ownership, this is a huge endeavor that you all are demystifying for them. So for both of you, what are some things people should do to make home ownership a reality? Well, number one is understand that credit really can work for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that you're managing your credit smartly. You're mm -hmm. paying your bills, not just paying them, not just paying them off. You got to pay them on time because mm -hmm. that is really where you start building your credit, showing that you are responsible. So, so that's number one. Mm -hmm. Understand the true value of it. Don't stay away from it. Definitely open cards. Just manage them responsibly. Save your money. You know why? All this is what I did when all my girlfriends were out in their twenties buying pocketbooks and high heel shoes, and I was buying property because now that property can pay for mm -hmm. <laughs> all of the pocketbooks and mm -hmm. high heel shoes, and you can do it too, guys. I think what happens is when we grow up seeing failure, you know, and seeing those who can't stay in their homes or who are too afraid uh, to put their money behind real estate, because honestly you know, some of the generations that came before us were just making ends meet. Mm -hmm. They were mm -hmm. just trying to pay the rent. They didn't even have dreams of owning homes because it was just about paying the rent and keeping a, a roof over their heads. But now every generation is doing just a little bit better. So we're we're in a position to to build our children up to actually inherit, not just want to purchase, to inherit mm -hmm. a real estate legacy. But you start with that first property and you can do it. It doesn't matter what type of job you have, how much you're earning, as long as you're managing your credit and you're saving more than you spend so that you can really build up. You, you can purchase a house with as little as 3% down. And many people don't know that. Mm -hmm. You know, you get together with a family member who's also managed their credit well, even if you didn't qualify, let's say for a $150,000 house, well, together you both can qualify and then you start from there. Mm -hmm. You take right. the equity out of the first one and you roll that into the second one. So everyone can do this, get off the fence, don't be afraid. And let's make it a part of our daily language, even with our children, like with our daughter, Kendall, mm -hmm. she's 10, she owns her first uh, investment property. Yep. And that's because she understood what a mortgage was. We taught, we made these things part of the conversation, mm -hmm. to quote unquote, demystify. The mm -hmm. same kids know what an Instagram or TikTok is. They should be able to know what compounding interest is. Right. They also need to know that there are a lot of programs and resources that you can tap into in order to be able to afford a house, especially for first time home buyers, mm -hmm. do the research and do your homework because it, it is, it, it's available. Okay. Right. And it differentiates depending on what state you're in. So you just got to do the research. Okay. Thank you all so much. We're going to have a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm with Egypt and Mike. Witty, honest, entertaining. Introducing Dear Culture with Panama Jackson on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app for all the black culture debates you don't want to miss. Also available wherever great podcasts are heard.
Okay, we're back. Mike, are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. Okay. Second question. Mm -hmm. And Egypt, I promise it'll be as difficult as, as yours. Make it hard. You gave her 15 seconds. I'm going to do 15 seconds. Okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. I, you know, it's equity here. It's equity. So I'm keep it as is. Okay, so Mike, here we go. This Black family based in Atlanta owns one of the largest and most successful construction and real estate development companies in the country. Some of their work includes the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C., and the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Who are they? Oh, my God. I was literally just talking about just them the other day. You got this answer, you know. Jeez. Oh, Projects at the airport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tons of them. Ah, um, oh okay, I think we're up. Mike? Uh, Egypt, did you want to jump in? Let them know. Break it down. It's the Russell family of H.J. Russell and Company. The company was founded by Herman J. Russell, who took over his father's plastering company in 1957. Mm. Herman passed away in 2014, and the company is now run by his son, Michael. And as I mentioned, H.J. Russell and Company is responsible for some of the biggest projects in Atlanta, including a new hospital that's in the works right now. And the company is also dedicated to philanthropy, giving back millions each year, and has a program that connects Black entrepreneurs to resources. So, Egypt and Mike, Mike, it seems as though you are well aware of who the Russell family yeah, is and what they've done in Atlanta. We're going to need a do-over episode. <laughs> hey, you all are welcome back anytime. So... In the in in Mike, how did you get into construction, and what do you see, especially as so many younger black men and women actually are more interested in getting into the construction business? What would you tell them if you know someone came to you and said, "I, I want to get started, but I just I don't know how to right. to get an entree, a foot in the door." Right. Well, I started in the business at an extremely young age. You know, I got my feet wet with my grandfather and my uncle, because they had their own construction business and they would always take me on the site. They would show me the ins and outs of it all. So I was working early. And then when I was actually able to legally be on these sites and do things the way they were supposed to do, I started with the local 28 trade here in New York City. And that's sheet metal workers in HVAC. And then that took on for about eight years. And then we were in Atlanta and I started my own company called Jackson Draper Renovations, where I have a partner, Uncle Mark, who's also on the show. My uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and several teams to where we just go at it. And obviously you see that on the show. Now, as far as any young man or young lady trying to break into the business, there are several routes to it. One, you cannot legally be on a job site unless you're 18 and older. Okay, okay. so that's one. But that doesn't mean you can't learn the, learn the trade. You know, they have a lot of trade schools that will teach you how to do this and get you in front of the right people. There's a lot of programs as well. You just gotta do the research. They'll teach you apprenticeships and so on to where once you get out of these trade schools or apprenticeships or find yourself a mentor, then they set you up. So when the time is right, you can actually be in the field and choose where you want to get which into shop. which trade, which shop, what actually uh, works for you. Okay. Well, hopefully for our listeners out there who are interested, you all can, you know, I think the key that both of you all are saying is if you want to do it, you have to spend a little bit of time researching where mm -hmm. to get started because the resources are there and the opportunities are are abundant. Okay, let's have a quick break and then we're gonna come back for our tiebreaker question between Egypt and Mike. 
Okay, we're back. It's time for a tiebreaker. This is for 2023, the blackest question bragging rights in the Sherrod Jackson household, okay? So the tiebreaker question number five, it's the first person to shout out the right answer gets the point. Okay, get off. Okay? <laughs> this country is known as the land bridge between Africa and Asia and is bordered by the Mediterranean and Red Seas. What country is it? Egypt. <laughs> Egypt got it first. I said first. You did that. Wait, wait, wait. But but see, that's a trick question. You said it's the land bridge between Africa and Asia, but Africa is a continent and Egypt is in Africa. Correct. Yes, and it's bordered by the Mediterranean Red Seas, but it's known as the land bridge. It's the it's the country that's sort of the bridge between the two continents. You taught us something we did not know today. Yeah. So yeah. Egypt is a transcontinental country that stretches from the northeast corner of Africa to the southwest corner of Asia. And mm -hmm. Egypt has 27 different governorates and is largely covered by desert with the Nile River running south to north. And so this is why it's known as this bridge between the two continents. You taught us something we didn't know. You know, yeah. Egypt, we were supposed to visit for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, we were supposed to visit <laughs> Egypt three times. And in the last time we the unrest broke out there, yeah. right? But it's back on our travel bucket list. Mm -hmm. We actually got over to Africa twice. We did Durban and mm -hmm. uh, Quasi Zulu Natal. Then mm -hmm. we went uh, to Morocco, Morocco, which was quite the experience. Right. That's where I found out I was pregnant with Harper in Morocco. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, we were hiking in the Atlas Mountains and I, I got a little sick. I thought it was the air pressure. So we came down um, and we wound up going to, because they don't have pharmacies like we have mm -hmm. in the in the U.S. So they have apothecaries and healers mm -hmm. and all of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, we went, his name was Jaleel the Healer. Do you remember? Jaleel the Healer, yep. He took one look at me and he said he couldn't give me any tea or anything to help my stomach because I was pregnant. And I said, no, sir, I think I have gas. Um, <laughs> he said, no, ma'am, I think that you're pregnant. Wrong. He says, no. What was interesting is I had uh, a hysterectomy planned for that same year. Yeah. So I'm really like, you are so far off base, sir. But he was so right. I was already yeah. what, three months pregnant with a oh, wow. there with no belly, came back with yeah. half a belly. But just so you know, when we go visit Egypt, we will not be coming back with babies. <laughs> <laughs> Stops closed. But uh, that's very interesting. When you ask the question, mm -hmm. I was thinking, well, it certainly wasn't someplace in Africa. It's a land bridge right. between. Right. So that um, you have expanded our knowledge of mm -hmm. Egypt now. Thank you for that. Oh, and what? during the month of January, the Grio is amplifying Africa, as we call it, with unique content and conversations. So we couldn't miss that opportunity to highlight your namesake and and also hopefully let our listeners know a little bit more about Egypt which is, as we all know, on the continent of Africa, but it does serve as this bridge between two continents. Um, okay, so before we get to Black Lightning, let's just take a quick break. And we're back and it's time for Black, my favorite part of the show, the Black Lightning Round. And so before I get you all out of here, the Black Lightning Round is for each of you. And this is just, there's no right or wrong answer. I just want, the, the first thing that pops in your mind, you just let us know, okay? So some questions are for both of you and some questions are just for each of you. So for both of you, if you had to choose, are you building a home from scratch or are you renovating something older? Egypt? Renovating something older. Mike? Building something from scratch. 
<laughs> this question is for both of you. Who has better food, New York or Atlanta? Ooh, I'm gonna lose my New York card on this, but I gotta say Atlanta. I okay. Atlanta, yeah. Okay. The you black can, is hot with this one. He can never go back to Hempstead, Long Island. <laughs> He's not welcome there after saying that. <laughs> Egypt, I know you're newly into gardening. What's your favorite plant to harvest? Ooh, interesting. You know, I love cucumbers to me. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I can't choose just one. That's an even okay. harder question than everything we've done now. Well, I'm going to tell you, my new thing is mint. And so I've been doing some research and mint is sort of from our ancestors and it's sort of, it, it's a spiritual magical uh, mm. plant that I had no idea had such a connection to, uh, you know, centuries of black people in this country specifically. So mint is my new passion, just so you know. Okay, Mike, this one's for you. There's talk of a Martin TV show reboot. Good idea or bad idea? Um, Bad idea. Martin. Okay. Classic. Don't touch it. Don't touch That's it. it. I, I'm I'm with you, Mike. They keep all the same cast members. They though. can't. They well, can't because Tommy Tommy's passed away. Wow. Leave it alone. Yeah. Okay. So this is for both of you. When the kids want something, who are they coming to first? Mom or dad? They come to mom. When mom says no, they go to dad. Dad <laughs> says yes. Mom gets upset at dad. Dad says I'm sorry, but the kids still get their way. That's how That's it goes. right. Um Mike, what do you say? You agree? Smart man, smart man. Okay, Egypt, you can only watch one reality show for the next five years. What are you picking? Oh my gosh, it's gotta be Ready to Love on OWN. I love that show so much. Okay. And Mike, I know you love Caribbean food. What's your go-to order? Ooh, my go-to order. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, curry chicken with uh, mixed vegetables, um, rice and peas, and plantains. Okay, listen, the next time you all come to New York, you gotta swing by my house, I'll make you all some oxtails. Oh. Ooh. My well, dad gets fresh oxtails from the Amish in Delaware, so. Oh, case. You know we just lost our New York card on your show though. Well, <laughs> you can sneak in town, I won't tell anybody. Okay, <laughs> and before we go, you all just tell us a little bit more about what viewers can expect to see on season two, Married to Real Estate. Well, number one, we really just want to express so much gratitude. This was for us. It was, hey, Mike, let's try a show together. Let's yeah. have fun. Let's show folks what we do. We had no idea it would turn into such a huge hit with over 19 million viewers. And we're just grateful from our heart, the Jackson family to yours. We're really just grateful for yes. all the support. But uh, this season, you'll see our business grow, our kids grow. Mm -hmm. uh, mommy trying to deal with the fact that the baby just will not get potty trained mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and just more members of our family and yeah. our business as we expand our empire. Uh, you'll get to see a lot more of the same meaning, transparency, mm -hmm. being relatable. You'll get to see Serene grow the dog. You'll get to see Harper attend school for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that's a tearjerker in itself for myself. Um, you get to see growth. Yeah. You know, there, there's a lot of creativity that's going to happen we stepped it up from the first season and I think it's going to be great. And bigger and better. We really tried to outdo ourselves, especially after the pressure of winning Rock the Block. We're like, that's okay. right. Well, uh, when we go back to Atlanta, we're going to have to rock every one of these renovations <laughs> out. So you, you just hopefully mind blowing designs and renovations for you. 
Uh, well, Egypt and Mike, I just want to thank you all so much for joining us here in The Blackest Questions. Um, we got to come back so we can have another tiebreaker so we can make sure, you know, we we have a true winner in the Sherrod Jackson household. But I want to make sure all of our viewers and listeners check out Married to Real Estate Season 2, where Egypt and Mike have even more for us. And I really want to thank you all for just educating so much of the public about home ownership, and really, as I said before, demystifying a lot of the process and letting us have some fun and some joy in the process. I want to thank you all listeners for listening to The Blackest Questions. The show is produced by Sasha Armstrong and Jeffrey Trudeau and Regina Griffin is the director of the podcast network. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And please download the Grio app to listen and watch many more great shows. Thanks for listening. <laughs>